0: tonight I want to focus a little bit more on practice again as Martine did last night and tonight I'd like us to focus a bit more on mindfulness of the body and Stephen mentioned that today as the path to the unconditioned the unconditioned being the mind that's free of greed hatred and delusion Excuse me, I just ate some almonds. (coughs) The mind that opens to the unconditioned in that way through this uh, release of grasping. But yet the mindfulness of the body is such an important part of our practice. And I think even more so in some ways for us as we're exploring these philosophical ideas of the Buddha... And as Stephen spoke the first night, how important it is to really integrate our practice with the ideas so that we can have a direct experience of this understanding for ourselves. And not only an experience, but to actually begin to experience the freedom to experience the release that happens through the insight and through the understanding. And so through mindfulness of the body, a very important uh, discourse that the Buddha gave on this, and lots of emphasis on this aspect of the teaching. Really, what we are talking about when we talk about mindfulness of the body in a simple way is really the basic sense of feeling the sensations in the body. Very simply, as Martin was directing today, both in the morning instructions and in the guided meditation how how we can actually b- bring our attention more fully into the body as a way to ground and to anchor our attention here in the present, in the present moment. This dropping of our attention, I, I often have the sense of dropping out of the mental activity, and perhaps perhaps you've had this experience as well, that when we get quite caught up in our head and our mental activity, our experience can be quite uh, one of being a head, or sometimes a disembodied head, where we don't have so much experience of the rest of our being, the rest of our body. And so through the practices of mindfulness of the body, we begin begin to feel more uh, embodied, we feel more whole, we feel more unified, we feel less fragmented, we feel more anchored here in the present moment. This brings us into a direct contact with presence, with attention, right here and now. So even as I'm speaking, I want to ask you how it is that you're actually listening. Are you listening only with your thinking mind or your mind, or do you actually have a sense of sitting here in your body, fully embodied, here in this room as you're listening because we actually need to bring more of the the wholeness of ourselves to our experience to go deeply into the understanding of what is being pointed to here. So as I talk, perhaps you may want to check occasionally and just see what your contact is like in your body as you're listening. You feel, sometimes we talk about feeling the sensations, the pressure of your body sitting, feeling your seat, feeling the cushion, feeling your body here on the, uh, the zabutan, on the mat, or the chair, just feeling that sense of presence so that you're here. You're not caught up in your thinking mind in the past and the future, but you start to anchor here into this present moment. This ground I love that Stephen's been talking about the ground, this groundless ground. And as we begin to feel the ground, we can feel the ground under our feet. We feel that stability. We feel the foundation. And we're here. That sense of, I'm here. And this is where life is flowing. This is where life is happening. Here, here and now. This is the aliveness, the vitality, the energetic sense of being that is right here now. So coming more fully into our body, we start to feel this sense of groundedness, this ground or the centeredness. And here we're able to receive the fullness of life as it mo- moves through. Life moves through the five senses, the sights and sounds and tastes and smells and touch, and through our, our mind, our thinking mind. These six experiences One time I was on a retreat with Joseph Goldstein and he, er, in the early days, and he mentioned that there were only six experiences. And it seems like our experience is very complex. (laughs) very, you know, so much is going on, but it actually is only six experiences that we can track. The five senses and a thought or an image arising and passing in the mind. That's all that's happening. And so in some ways when we're bringing our attention more fully into the present moment by just knowing it's one of these six experiences, it can actually help us begin to connect more, to make contact more with our direct experiences through these uh, five senses and through the mind. I remember when he said that, I was, I was really in such disbelief, I couldn't believe that it. it all boiled down to, five, to six experiences, that I actually ca- caught him at the door when he was walking out of the meditation hall after the talk, and I said, Joseph, did you really say there's only six experiences? Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was one of those things, just taking that in this, from this very complex sense of this uh, reality to something so simple, it's just a sight, or a sound, a taste, a smell, a touch, a a, a thought in the mind or an image in the mind, mind activity. And that in our mindfulness, that's all we need to be attending to, moment to moment, is one of those six experiences. So even right now, the hearing through the ear door, maybe feeling sensations in the body, where are you? Where are you now? What's your experience as you're sitting here? When the Buddha speaks about mindfulness of the body, it's not really just an observing of the body. So this kind of uh, knowing that I'm in a body or that I have a body or that there are experiences happening here. But it's really more of um, allowing our awareness, allowing the mindful attention to actually mingle with the sensations of the body so that there's no distance, there's no gap in the observing. Sometimes we can, you know, be knowing or observing what's happening and there can seem like this kind of distance of I am the one who's observing this body, you know, that it's in a way it's, it's not as alive or there's not as, there's not as much vitality as when you really bring the awareness fully into contact with the sensations and allowing that awareness and the sensations to mingle together. There's this wonderful simile from the Buddha, from one of his discourses where he talks about this. The Buddha uses lots of great similes. He says, just as a skilled bathman heaps bath powder in a metal basin and sprinkling it gradually with water, kneads it till the moisture wets his ball of bath powder, soaks it and pervades it inside and out. In this way, awareness fills this body so there is no part of his or her whole body unpervaded with awareness of sensations. No part of his or her whole body unpervaded with awareness of sensations. This is how a practitioner develops mindfulness of the body. I really love to get a sense of this, a feel for this, because it's very much like a, a saturating the awareness with the body, kind of like if you put a wet, if you put a dry cloth in a bucket of water, That cloth absorbs the water. It's saturated with the moisture. And in the same way, awareness kind of saturates itself with these sensations. There's no separation. There's no separation between the awareness and the sensations. Just this immersion of the contact itself. So there's there's no gap, no distance. This is the way we practice this mindfulness of the body. There's a sense of unification, so the mind and the body are actually in the same place. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes we come to the, a retreat the first couple of days, you know, our mind is you know back there with uh, what we were doing last week or last month or our families or our work or whatever, and our bodies are here, but there's not really a sense of that togetherness. We feel fragmented or we feel split. And so as we start to... To practice this mindfulness of the body, we actually start to feel this unification, or we feel a wholeness, a coming together. And that feels good. We like that. When we feel the, when there's the tension, the split of the mind being caught up in the past or the future, and we're not really fully here, there's a kind of tension or an agitation that will feel a restlessness, an unsettling, that we feel through that splitting, through that fragmentation. And as we start to come back here, bringing the mind back, the attention back, we're more settled here in the present moment, we feel there's a, there's a quality of, of sensation that we feel from being present. There's a certain comfort, there's a certain ease just in the presence itself. Not necessarily in the experience, but in the awareness as we start to come back. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says this is like a child who returns home after a long journey. You know, coming home, you know, sometimes we use these phrases of coming home, is coming back, come, collecting. attention here. This is what, this is a very important step in the practice. This being here, being in the present, is really what is necessary in order for us to begin our inquiry into the nature of things, into the nature of this existence. If we're not here, we can't inquire, we can't investigate, we can't really begin to explore. So, so much of the practice is this arriving. Arriving, we talked about that in the first day, but we're always arriving. Every moment we're arriving. Every time we get distracted or we get pulled away or we get caught up and seduced in some fantasy or idea or belief system or or attached to some view... And we catch that, we know that we need to arrive back, we're arriving back, coming back here so that we can begin to see clearly and directly what's going on here. Not only can we begin the inquiry so we can deepen in our understanding, but also when we're present we can actually draw on the resources of our being, the qualities of our being. We can draw on the wisdom and the compassion of our being that isn't so accessible. It isn't accessible when we're spaced out or we're lost in our thought or we're, we're uh, caught up in some fixation. We begin to soften, open, and we talk about the heart opens, the heart opening, the heart opening in wisdom and compassion to what's happening here in the moment. This arriving here. (coughs) So in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the Sutta I mentioned earlier, which is what really this basis of this practice comes from this uh, Satipatthana, the foundations of mindfulness. Patthana being the foundations or the ground. Sati is mindfulness. So the foundations of mindfulness. So the, the Buddha starts with mindfulness of the body, the first foundation, the first one that he starts with, and in the, the foundation of, mind, of the mindfulness of body, there are six practices that he gives, and three of them are what we practice here. The first one being the, the mindfulness of breathing. The very, very first one, the, mind, the first foundation is mindfulness of body, and the first, the first technique is the mindfulness of the breath. Basically knowing the breath. Breathe, he, he, the, he The Buddha says it like this. He says, breathing in long, he understands he's breathing in long. Or breathing out long, he understands he's breathing out long. Breathing in short, she understands she's breathing in short. Breathing out short, she understands she's breathing out short. So it's just that that bare knowing of the sensations of the breath. That's the basic practice. The one that Martine has been speaking about, we teach in the beginning. This grounding, this centering into the breath, so important. And for me, over the years of my own practice, the breath has become even a more important and powerful resource for me. It's one that I can continually return to when I may feel frightened or I might feel a little lost or overwhelmed or I'm uh, even opening to something beautiful and I'm really enjoying where I am. Taking that breath and really coming fully here, just, just that unification, that coming into wholeness with the breath, such an important resource And we'll be talking more about this, too, because it's so important, this grounding, this anchoring into the present moment. So the first one that the Buddha speaks about, the breath, knowing the breath, feeling the breath, breathing fully. The second one, the second practice, is the one on the four postures, being mindful in the four postures of sitting and standing and walking and lying down the mindfulness in those postures itself, which is still the immersion in the body, feeling the body, knowing the body, sensing the body as it moves, as it sits, as it lies down. What's happening? What's occurring there? So we practice this here, the four postures, mindfulness in the four postures. The third practice is the practice of activities that uh, Stephen read from the, the sutta on that where we are bringing our mindful attention to all of our activities, everything that we're doing through the day, whatever it is. This is what we practice here. The Buddha says it like this. She acts, he didn't say she, but I'm saying she. Sometimes it's nice to hear that. She acts clearly knowing. (laughs) She acts clearly knowing, making herself alert. That's the basis of the mindfulness of activities. She acts clearly knowing, making herself alert. So one of the qualities that we practice is alertness, keeping the mind alert, keeping the mind awake. And this alertness is an aspect of the mindfulness that we can then turn towards the body, towards the sensations, towards the senses, and then towards the Uh, mind as mind as well, which is one of the other foundations of mindfulness, knowing the mind as mind. Mm -hmm. So these first three um, practices are the ones that we we base the retreat form on, uh, uh, practicing mindfulness of the body, the first foundation, mindfulness of feeling, which is the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, uh, neutral, mindfulness of mind, is the third one, and then mindfulness of dhammas, or sometimes translated as mental qualities, knowing the specifics of how the the mind is operating in accord with the dhamma. These four foundations of mindfulness. Just to mention the other um, three practices in the uh, Satipatthana Sutta, the fourth one is the 32 parts of the body, where you're really looking at the body just as a body without any person there. 32 parts, all the organs and nerves and muscles and bones, and you examine the body through 32 parts. This is one of the practices that the Buddha taught. The fifth one is is investigating into the four elements, looking at the body as just elemental, earth, air, fire, and water which helps to see through this identification as a, a, a me or mine. It's just elements, this elemental nature, uh, uh, m- moving, flowing, shifting. And the sixth practice is the um, uh, meditation on the corpse. I think we mentioned that earlier. Uh, meditation on de- death. So seeing the body just as a corpse. Um, When consciousness leaves the body, it's just matter. It's just this matter. So these are the the different practices that the Buddha encourages so that we can start to uh, have insight into the nature of this body, but also as a way to really ground and arrive here, be here so that we can go deeper into our investigation. This is what we're practicing. This is a part of the aspect that we're practicing practicing. But it's not easy to be in the body. You know, it's, it's easy to talk about it, but I remember when I first started these practices in the late 70s, about a little over about 30 years ago or so, and my teachers were encouraging getting into the body, you know, doing more body uh, practices and that sort of thing. I, it was really almost impossible for me to feel my body I didn't want to feel my body. I didn't even know how to. It was just, it was so uncomfortable to be in my body. I remember this so clearly. And the teacher kept, you know, directing the attention down, and I didn't want to feel, my hands hurt. It was just kind of a a restless feeling. You know, maybe you know, feel that sometimes. As you start to come into present-centered awareness and you feel your body, there's kind of a restlessness. It'd be sometimes kind of an agitation or a discomfort. You don't really want to feel it. That's one of the things that we start to experience as we come more fully into the body. But we also start to experience physical discomfort. The body's uncomfortable. This body is dukkha. This body is suffering. It's, It's painful a lot of the time. It's unpleasant a lot of the time. We don't want to feel it. This body we, it also contains the emotional life. Well, the, sometimes the emotions are really painful. The emotions are really hard to be with. And so it's so easy for the consciousness to slip off of those sensations. We don't want to feel those sensations. And I think that there's a whole kind of uh, way of being. The human beings move away from the discomfort, move away from the pain towards something much more comfortable, more pleasant, more enjoyable, because why feel this? Why be with this? Why be with emotional discomfort, physical discomfort, restlessness? You know, this body and all of this body holds, why? Why? I can just go watch DVDs or read a book or, you know, go for a run or take drugs or drink alcohol or whatever it is, you know, just like don't have to feel. There is a lot going on here. Have you noticed? Have you kind of started to feel this body? There's a lot happening here at emotional, physical, kind of at the, even at the nervous, kind of a nerve, just the, just the nerve level of being in a human body. We don't like it. And so we try to manipulate and control conditions to get away from it, to feel more comfortable. You know, some of that's okay, of course. I mean, we want to be more comfortable. But the difficulty is that I think we we move away a little bit too quickly. We move away before we have a chance to really investigate the nature of this body right here. This existence that we live in, one time I was um, sitting a three month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society, and it was early, the early years of my practice and you know go to the three month retreats with a lot of um, expectation, one of them being that that it 's going to be quiet right it 's going to be a really suitable place to practice there 's going to be good conditions. And um, this will allow the m- the mind to really settle and you know relax and get comfortable. And I remember about three weeks into this three month retreat, they announced that there was going to be un- unexpectedly. It's not like they planned this, although they could have planned this. They announced that there was going to they were having to dig up a pipe right next to the meditation hall, and it was going to go on for three days. And they had to get one of those small caterpillar machines out and they were going to have to work all day, (laughs) and just dig, and dig, and dig, right next, like, literally, like, three feet, four feet right outside these windows here, so this digger, this machinery, you know, going, and digging, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those, you know, it's just kind of, like, going, and, you know, it's just like, so we go, you know, sitting in the meditation hall, and just this annoyance, and this irritation, and it's like, Oh, it's supposed to be quiet. It's supposed to support my calm and my tranquility. How am I going to meditate? How, how am I going to get deep? How am I going to get you know insight? You know, It's like, like somehow that had to go away for this to happen. And of course the teachings, this was the initial reaction, but the teachings are saying, feel, be present with what's happening. Be here for it. So letting it come in, noticing the aversion, so much aversion, contraction, wanting it, not meeting my ideals, my expectations. Lots of aversion going on for probably the first day or so. Of course, all I was caught up then was just more contraction and more pain and more agitation because of the mental agitation that I was bringing to the physical agitation that was coming because of the machinery, right? So adding all this extra pain on top, which not so, wasn't so obvious to me at the time, or maybe I you know, would have had a little bit more understanding. So continue to breathe. This, you had a lot of time to work with this, a few days. You know, Breathing, relaxing, you know, being with, being with, watching the aversion, not trying to feed the aversion. You know. And then as I started to settle more and more with it and really taking it on as an opportunity, as an opportunity for practice and deepening of insight. The most interesting thing happened where the sound, as I really opened and as I really allowed the full impact in my body and my mind and let go of my resistance, what happened is the sound started to shift into a sound of Tibetan bells. So I was just hearing these—it's ba- like a bed ba- the bells, and in the resonance, and the the it's kind of the uh, uh, you know—it it all just shifted, and it was so pleasant. It just all opened up. But this whole shift in my experience, which was fun- was really incredible to see. I think Martin was talking about how something could be one thing, one moment, and then all of a sudden, the comp- it turns on its head into something so completely different. This was so extreme, the extreme from the real sit deep agitation to this total open, kind of warm, uh, happy, uh, almost ecstatic sound of the bells that I was hearing. We don't know what's possible for us as we begin to relax we soften, we open up this resistance we have both to our ideas, as in my, in my case was also my expectation, my ideation of what I wanted to have happened, but it was also my, my, my resistance to the agitation, this agitation that I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to let in. I wanted to figure out some way to get away, although I stayed there and I meditated with it. So deep insight for me into this letting go, this opening. Not that it will always, something will always change into this kind of glorious sort of uh, uh, experience, but it's more that we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen. Experience moves on a continuum from unpleasant to pleasant, back and forth, Moment to moment, some shift from pleasant to in-between to unpleasant, this is, this, is experience. It does, this is it. It doesn't go anywhere else. It's, it's in the conditionality of things, it's either going to be, we're going to like it as pleasant or we're not going to like it as unpleasant or it'll be kind of neutral. We may fall asleep and you know become indifferent if it's neutral a lot of the time. We kind of wake up when it's pleasant and unpleasant. But this is, the, this is the range of our experience. So if we're, if we're pushing away the unpleasant and holding on, grabbing on to the pleasant, and this is a lot of our, our, how we spend our time, this is going to be our reality. This is going to be our life. Pushing and pulling, pushing and pulling, pushing and pulling. I remember taking a couple of years of my practice, actually, watching this activity of mind, the resistance, the rejecting of what is, and the holding on to what I liked and what I wanted, the control, the, the, to, and hoping that it would stay, the manipulation and control. Attachment and aversion, attachment and aversion. Just watching that and being fascinated, that habit, that strong condition, tendency of my mind to manipulate reality constantly and to see if I could soften, breathe the breath, the breath, the breath, breathing and softening, breathing and softening so that I wouldn't get caught, I wouldn't keep feeding, I wouldn't keep identifying with these ideas that I would be better off if I wasn't feeling the discomfort. I would be better off if I was feeling the comfort. Is it true? Is it true? I think it's good to ask and f- let's find out. Is it true? What, what can we understand? What can we discover? What can be revealed in this as we begin to let go, as we begin to open to the present conditions as they are with the feeling tone, with the Vedana, with the pleasant, unpleasant quality, which every moment there's going to be a feeling tone, a Vedana. There's going to be, it's either going to be pleasant, it's going to be unpleasant, or it's going to be somewhere in between. How are we relating to that? How are we being with that? This this attitude of the mind is so critical in, as we are in investigating freedom, and liberation. This attitude, how is the mind leaning? Is it liking or disliking, rejecting or holding? This relationship is what's going to open up what what Stephen's calling the unconditioned, that freedom from greed, hatred, and confusion. The confusion often arises right around that neutral place sometimes, that indifference, indif- that falling asleep, that dulling out, because we're not, there's no stimulation there. Mm-hmm. All of it is very important to pay attention to. I think sometimes that we, we, we get frightened. I think we get frightened that if we really allow... The mindfulness to make contact with the unpleasant sensation, with the discomfort, or with the pain that somehow we're going to—it's going to get stronger, and we're going to get overwhelmed. It's going to kind of take us. It's going to swallow swallow us up in some way, or that we're we're not going to have the capacity to deal with it, and it's just going to be unbearable. We so so there's a way that we kind of protect or we hold back. We we just uh, we have strategies to keep the, the, the pain at bay without really investigating, without really inquiring. And some people here are starting to do that. There were some interesting things that people said today about, oh, I just let myself feel it. You know, Usually I just you know, change my posture or I just avoid this tension in my knee or whatever it is. But I felt it, and I was okay. It was okay. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Just taking those little steps, taking those little little moments of investigation. Is it really going to be that bad? Is it really that bad? Without drawing this, these habitual strategies to manipulate and control what's happening. To see that this is the, this is the expression of nature. These conditions with the feeling tone are the expression of this nature, the conditioned reality. This is what we get as human beings. This is it. This this array of pleasant and unpleasant conditions and somewhere in between. That's it. Isn't that exciting? You no, know, that's, that's it. That's what we're learning this week. <laughs> so I want to tell you just a, um, a little story about one investigation that I did in a very, very unpleasant situation. When I went on a um, a vision quest, and this is when I was living in England, it was about ten or more years ago, and I hadn't been on a vision quest, and I always really wanted to do one, just to really challenge my belief systems, my my own sense of limitation of who I thought I, I am, so it was a, a four-night going out solo um, into the wilds of England. You know, very wild there, right? So out on the moor in this very um, kind of open place, kind of a little bit hilly, lots of trees, went with a small group, and of course there's a guide, and stays down at base camp, and then we go out into um, solo without any water and with one, one tarp and no food. And uh, there were streams, so we could get our water in the streams and have a little pump. Um, so very, very ascetic, very ascetic. And, um, and a sleeping bag. It was June, so it wasn't too cold. But just my luck, and being in England, it rained. So not just raining the first day, not just raining the second day, but raining the third day. So raining, raining, raining. And here I am, you know, doing my, my solo out there in the all by myself, and it just was so gray and damp and just verging on cold, not too cold. I was able to stay warm enough, but, you know, there's nothing to do, you know. There's, no, there's not even any food, so you can't, sort of, I couldn't entertain myself with food. That's usually the last one, you know. If we don't have TV, we don't have books, or we don't have uh, our computers or anything, at least there's food, you know, but there wasn't any food, and I'm pumping my own water, so it was getting pretty horrible, and I was getting pretty sick, you know, sick from not eating and feeling nauseous and wet. My boots got wet just walking out there, you know, so I was wet, and uh, fortunately, I had my practice, so because I was feeling so awful and sick, well, I'll just do my walking meditation. I mean, what could I do? I just can walk and try to be present with what I'm feeling. So just walking, I just did walking meditation, and sometimes I would sit under a tree. There was maybe an hour or two where the rain would stop, and I would try to get some sun and warm up, but that was about it. So just doing my walking meditation, just feeling you know, just wondering, can I bear this? Can I do this? Is it possible? And what came to me was really asking myself this question of what would it mean to be equanimous in this situation? What would it mean to be equanimous? Because I had ideas, you know, that there's a state, right? There's a state where if I was more evolved, if I was more enlightened, I would be equanimous like the Buddha right? Nothing would bother me. Nothing would impact me. You know, I would just be, be, um, uh, I wouldn't feel anything. I would just be in this state of complete happiness, contentment, bliss. Maybe some of you have had this thought about what it means to be free, be, be enlightened. So, you know, I was thinking, well, what would it really mean? What, would if, what if the Buddha was here in this situation and feeling nauseous and wet and, you know, no food and sick and all of this? And So I really just walked with this question. What would it mean to be equanimous in this situation? Could I get to a place where I wouldn't feel discomfort? What, is that what it would mean? Is that what equanimity would mean? That I would no longer feel discomfort, that somehow I would transcend, my body, my mind would transcend the situation into this state of bliss, and I wouldn't feel anymore, even though I'd be sick and I'd be (laughs) wet and all that, you know, so I was really exploring all these, really inquiring into what does this mean, what does it really mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be in this kind of situation and to be a free human being? Could I really erase these conditions? Transcend. I just kept walking and walking. And what I realized was, no, as a human, I'm not going to transcend these situations, yes, sure, I could have gone into some, maybe I could have achieved some kind of steep states of concentration, and that would have been a kind of transcendent, transcendence temporarily, but I didn't, wasn't interested in that. I was interested in being present for this. What would it mean to be alive, to be engaged? And I, I saw, no, all that's necessary here, true, true equanimity is a mind of non-reactivity, a mind that is not in reaction to the conditions that are arising. It doesn't mean that the conditions stop. It doesn't mean that the Vedana stops, that there's no more pleasant unpleasant. It means the mind is not in reaction to. The mind is free. The body is still in discomfort. This, you know, the the body's still feeling sick and all of that and the pain and the wet and the cold and hungry. But the mind, my mind isn't in reaction. So then I kept working with that and I I kept getting a sense of this quality of acceptance. And not a kind of passive acceptance, oh, there's nothing I can do, so I may as well accept it, acceptance. But really on a staying engaged, staying in contact, staying awake without being in reaction. And then what I saw was that actually the truth is, is that in this awake state, I am limited as a human being, and I don't know if I can take this. This may be all I can do. If I don't really pay attention here, I could get dehydrated, I could... maybe get dizzy. I could fall down. I could get hurt. I need to pay attention. So paying attention wasn't just being attentive to the sensations, but being attentive means that there is wisdom. There's wisdom that can arise, that can, in the present attention, can then know how to respond to the situation, can kind of take stock, can have a comprehensive view of what's going on, and then make choices, make decisions. And so what I saw was I think I hit my limit. <laughs> I think three days <laughs> of going through this and not knowing how much longer, how much more strength I had. And this is all part of the vision quest, if you know about vision quest. If you if you get in trouble, it's fine to go out, to go down to base camp, and, and go back to get taken care of by the guides. So then the question was, okay, what's my limit? So the next was, okay, I'm here. I'm not in reaction. I'm not wanting this to be different right now. I'm just wanting to look objectively at the situation. And I saw that's it. Three days, three nights, that's it. Three nights spending under a tree with snails going through my hair waking up at night pulling snails out of my hair and you know I think that's it (laughs) this is pretty courageous this is pretty noble three days three nights and I went I'm going in and I went in the guides were there they welcomed put a warm blanket on me there was a tent up on the hill for people who came in I went in the tent with my blanket they handed me a bowl of miso soup I was in heaven. I, was, I, I arrived in heaven. A tent, <laughs> a blanket, and a bowl of miso soup. That was it. I was as happy as I ever thought I could be in the whole world. Talk about conditional, right? Conditional. I was, I was ecstatic, and I slept. I was happy. I, I think I was happy. I was happy for hours. I don't remember ever being so happy. Just lying, I was sleeping, waking up. And the way the vision quest works is you don't actually break your quest when you come in. You just stay up in the tent, and then when the others come in, then you do the ritual, you close the vision quest, and so that I was able to finish the quest with the group and went through the, the circle and then back into the world. So it was, it was phenomenal, really, to to have the depth of that insight and that understanding of that the discomfort, it's absolutely clear to me now, the discomfort, the, the vedana of the unpleasant in the conditional reality is not, does not go away as a human being. As a human being, what my practice is, is to watch my reaction to the conditions. Whatever the conditions, am I rejecting? Am I, re- am I uh, uh, pushing away? Am I judging? Am I blaming? Am I getting caught up in my resistance and my struggle? Can I soften? We say let go. This yes, we say, let go. Can I soften that? Breathing, grounding, anchoring into the body, being present as I breathe and soften. Grasping onto the pleasant. Oh, I want this to stay. I love this. I want this. Holding onto that. Seeing that. Noticing. Can I let go? Relax. Open. Come back here. Into this simplicity of this moment here. This simplicity. Just this returning, returning. I think every spiritual tradition has this teaching of returning. Returning here. What's here? What's here? When we're not in reactivity, we're not grasping, we're not clinging, we're not holding on, not manipulating or controlling. This is when we, when we say free of greed, free of hatred or aversion, free of confusion, confusion that doesn't know what's going on, what to do. What We, we are free of this reactivity. Equanimity is said to be the deepest peace, the deepest peace. Sometimes it's equated with Nibbana, This deepest freedom, this non-reactive mind. For me, the teachings are getting more and more simple, really, in what to pay attention to, what to pay attention to, and how to pay attention, how to ground, how to anchor, how to be in contact with present conditions, here and now. And of course, this makes us very, very vulnerable. When we really are here, when we really are in contact, we're vulnerable, because we don't know what our capacity or resources are going to be to meet the moment. And in that openness, life comes in. Life comes in through all the senses, through the mind, the memories, the the images. Life comes in. We're not blocking. We're not pushing away. We're open. And when we're open, we're vulnerable. The heart gets activated. The heart gets moved, touched by life itself. And it's hard sometimes. It's challenging. Our teacher Ajahn Sumedho, uh, one of the elders in our tradition, says that life is like standing under a waterfall, a strong waterfall. This impingement, moment to moment. Can we keep our balance? Can we keep our balance when when we open? And if we can't, it's fine. Then we close. We recharge. We wait until we can get some balance. Then maybe we'll open again. It's fine. Doesn't matter. We don't need to be in an open state all the time. It's part of the wisdom and the compassion, paying attention, listening to what's needed in the moment. So our practice isn't easy. And we don't know what's going to happen in this openness. When we're really open and we're not defending or blocking or manipulating, we don't know what's going to happen in the next instant. And we don't like it. (laughs) We don't like not knowing. Another way. I want to know. I want to control. I want to. So, of course, it's hard to open. Of course, it's hard to let go. So in the acknowledging that, in the recognition of that, we bring compassion. We bring compassion to ourselves for our own limitations, compassion to the situation, compassion for us as suffering beings, as limited beings. (coughs) And so this practice is very grounded in compassion. Wisdom and compassion. Two wings of the bird. So I think I'll end there. So maybe let's just sit for a moment and just see what's happening in your body right now. breathing or whether you feel expanded or whether you feel contracted doesn't matter it's noticing your attitude in your mind and being willing to soften and let go Thank you. And so we now have a half an hour for walking and you can put this into practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit